0: This is Speaking of Writers... I'm Steve Richards. Seldom has our free press faced so great a threat, and yet the tension between presidents and journalists is as old as the republic itself. George Washington, upon seeing an unflattering caricature of himself in a local newspaper, got into one of those passions when he cannot command himself, according to then-Secretary of State Thomas Jefferson. Every president since has been tested by the American media. Since the founding era, almost everything about access and expectation, literacy and technology has changed, but in the presidents versus the Press. Acclaimed scholar and Lincoln Prize winner Harold Holzer chronicles the eternal battle between the core institutions that define the republic Revealing that the essence of this confrontation is built into the fabric of the nation. Harold Holster is the recipient of the 2015 gilder Lehrman Lincoln Prize, one of the country's leading authorities on Abraham Lincoln and the political culture of the Civil War era. Holster was appointed chairman of the U.S. Abraham Lincoln Bicentennial Commission by President Bill Clinton and awarded the National Humanities Medal by President George W. Bush. He currently serves as the director of the Roosevelt House Public Policy Institute at Hunter College, City University of New York. Happy to have Harold Holster join me now here on Speaking of Writers. Harold, welcome to this program.
1: Steve, thank you. Thanks for starting with that great anecdote to which you can add that uh, the reason that there was an anti-Washington press in the nation's capital is that Thomas Jefferson, his own Secretary of State, imported an anti-Federalist editor to work in Philadelphia and then put him on the State Department payroll to make sure he had enough money to Create an anti-Washington journalism. That's how crazy it
0: used to be. <laughs> we, yeah, I touched on Washington. Let's start with Jefferson. What was Jefferson's relationship like with the press when he became president?
1: Well, he he was very chummy uh, and generous with Republican Democratic newspapers, and don't forget don't forget the the key thing is that every newspaper in the country at the founding era was either pro-federalist or anti-federalist. So Jefferson. palled uh, palled around with pro-Jefferson editors, Um, but the Federalist editors, he encouraged be prosecuted under state libel laws, and although he said generous things about freedom of the press his entire life, he was a little bit hypocritical about it in in practice. In fact, it's kind of like um, his glowing prose about all men being created equal Uh, which he wrote at the same time that he owned other human beings. So he's a paradox for sure.
0: Let's uh, move forward to Abraham Lincoln, who you know well, winner of the Lincoln Prize, Harold Holzer. What was Lincoln's relationship like with the press?
1: Again, if they were pro-Republican, he gave them uh, federal jobs. He gave them printing contracts. He made sure the military advertised in pro-Republican papers. He um, befriended the editors. In 1864, the pro-Lincoln editor of the New York Times served as the chairman of the Republican National Committee. Can't get much closer than that. And all this was done openly, no hiding about it. But the Democratic press, who had battled Lincoln throughout his, his um, state and national career, found itself um, on the other end of Lincoln's raft during the Civil War whenever they advocated for young men to not enlist in the Army or worse, to avoid the military draft, the Lincoln administration and the military cracked down on these journalists. This was the worst crackdown on the press in the history of the country in terms of numbers. More than 200 newspapers shut down, editors imprisoned in military prisons without trial. So the great emancipator was um, not quite as free with opposition newspaper men and um, it's a part of the record that isn't isn't noticed all that much
0: Harold is it true that his uh, Lincoln Secretary of War Edward Stanton moved the telegraph operations into a single room next to his office?
1: It's absolutely true. After the battle of Bull Run when newspaper men tried to file stories about how embarrassing the Union defeat had been, uh, the military took over the telegraph wires and then moved the official telegraph office into his waiting room. And um, we know that, I mean, think if you've seen it or if your your listeners have, have seen it, the Lincoln movie with Daniel Day-Lewis, you know, hanging around the telegraph office,
0: yes.
1: uh, getting news of the latest battles. And that's true. But it was also a place where you could not send out independent news because the War Department had an official censor who actually operated there and did just what his job implied. He was the censor.
0: We're chatting with Harold Holzer, the winner of the Lincoln Prize. His book out now is "The Presidents Versus the Press: The Endless Battle Between the White House and the Media, From the Founding Fathers to Fake News." Harold, how did Theodore Roosevelt manage the press?
1: So the the, uh, the press culture changed at just the right time for a guy with TR's personality. Um, it stopped being a partisan press. At least the partisanship was confined for the first time to just the editorial pages which is what most older Americans are used to and find is no longer the case. With Roosevelt, it was more of a front page journalism. So what did T.R. do as a guy who just loved being on the front page and thought he should be on the front page every day, in every city, in every paper? He put he opened the first White House press room, and every day at one o'clock when he got his daily shave from the White House barber, she invited the journalists into the little ante room next to the Oval Office, and they were allowed to ask him the questions of the day. Now, it was all off the record, unless Roosevelt, you know, put it on the record, which he did occasionally. But they got to, you know, just total access to the president on a daily basis for the first time. And in that way, Roosevelt was on the front page most days. Um, so a complete change in routine for the first time, the press had official access to the White House, which, of course, they still do. They want to have it with coronavirus in the White House, but they have it if they want it. Right.
0: Now, FDR, Harold, two weeks after Pearl Harbor, he signed an emergency executive order creating the Office of Censorship. What was the Office of Censorship all about?
1: You know, Roosevelt, FDR, was an interesting amalgam of his two heroes. Like his cousin Theodore, he was accessible. 998 press conferences in 12 years. Um, like his big political mentor who put him in uh, a deputy cabinet position during World War I, he was a Wilsonian. And what Wilson had done during World War I is create a committee for public information, which on the one hand supplied propaganda about the American effort against Germany, but on the other hand, put out posters and magazines uh, supporting the allied cause and crackdown on news that, the Wilson administration thought would you know, give the, en- the enemy aid and comfort and passed a, an, a law against it that was still being enforced by President Obama, by the way, when he was president. Um, so FDR was the best of both worlds. Like Theodore, he was accessible. And like Wilson, he created this unit. Uh, there were actually two. There was a censorship unit that operated under the idea Loose Lips think ships, we've all heard that phrase and crack down on outgoing information, but also sent five of the country's most famous and gifted movie directors like Frank Capra and John Ford and George Stevens out to photograph the glories of American um, victories in the Atlantic and the Pacific, John Houston too. And they made great propaganda films, the most famous of which is probably a movie called why we fight. Um, so he did it both ways. He did it the theater way and the Wilson way.
0: We're chatting with Harold Holzer here on Speaking of Writers. His book is The Presidents Versus the Press: The Endless Battle Between the White House and the Media from the Founding Fathers to Fake News. Harold, what was your research process like for this book, and any surprises?
1: So the research process was—I guess this is the first book I've done that um, that I did for which I did a great deal of research on the web. And I must say, after 40 years of traveling around and doing research in libraries and period newspapers, it's kind of fun um, to do it by accessing presidential papers from home and newspapers from home. And in the case of the modern presidents, I I watched every press conference that uh, uh, John Kennedy did, many of them that Lyndon Johnson and Jimmy Carter and Richard Nixon and all of the presidents did, uh, so And also, I made it a point to not read presidential biographies, except to fact check, but to read the memoirs of the journalists who covered the White House. And beginning in the Theodore Roosevelt era, well, actually back to the Lincoln era, but I was familiar with that literature. But certainly starting with the um, the, um, the Theodore Roosevelt era, journalists left a lot of wonderful stories behind that I used. For the book, my biggest surprise, I guess it was uh, the the level of animosity and disappointment and outright anger that the press corps had toward Barack Obama mm. and this has nothing to do with his policies, nothing to do with all that he represented in terms of opening up the presidency to to a new generation and to someone of obviously of color. It was the fact that he was really secretive. He would um, direct, or his administration would direct questions to the White House website instead of the press office, and he invoked the Woodrow Wilson-era Espionage Act of 1918, which apparently we've forgotten to sunset all these, you know, for 100 years, and used it to crack down on leaks about the so-called War on Terror, and that included um wiretapping the phones of several newspaper men. Um, two in particular with very similar names, James Risen and James Rosen. And uh these guys had not only their phones wiretapped, but their family's phones wiretapped to try to find the source of White House leaks that in the in the end don't look very important, historically speaking. So I guess that was my biggest surprise.
0: In our remaining moments with Harold Holzer, his book is The Presidents Versus the Press, The Endless Battle Between the White House and the Media, From the Founding Fathers to Fake News. Harold, what would you like readers to take away from this book? Two things, I think.
1: One is that we are all understandably appalled by the fighting between the president and the press and maybe the partisanship that we see on cable news. The reassuring thing should be, that has happened before. This was the culture in the 18th and 19th centuries in America. Newspapers reporting was totally um, informed by political viewpoints. It's just that the journalists don't say it today. Um, and the cable news networks don't admit their political biases, which, you know, I'm not saying biases in a pejorative way. But that's the way they operate. And it should be more open. So we've seen this before. Um, the press and the president should not be on friendly terms. Uh, on some, In some instances, like disguising the, nat- the full extent of FDR's disability or John F. Kennedy's extramarital affairs, maybe they should have been a little more vigilant and not cozy it up to the White House. So that's one message. What's old is new again or vice versa. The other message is looking back at this history, I think the most effective presidential communicators have been those that have found outside means of communication. That is, high technologies, new technologies, through which they go around the press and speak directly to the people. And my examples in the book are FDR and his fireside chats, becoming a radio star, really. John F. Kennedy and his televised news conferences. To a lesser extent, President Obama and the White House website. But Donald Trump and Twitter belong in the Kennedy and FDR categories as communicators. Um, Whatever we think of President Trump, his tweets move legislation, change minds of senators, affect the stock market. And actually, until the campaign began, whatever he tweets in the morning had been the stories that cable covers throughout the day. So he has dictated the news cycle for three and two-thirds years, which is pretty remarkable.
0: Are you working on another book?
1: I'm planning another book, but I wouldn't say I'm working on it. It's <laughs> <That's> too, <laughs> much, too much too soon. I'm having fun talking about this one. You know, I, I was going to say all over the country, but it's all been on Zoom and on the phone, which is fine. But yeah, I want to do a book about Lincoln and immigration, because I think um, it would be interesting for folks to look at how another administration under stress handled a huge influx of new
0: Americans during a war. Harold Holzer, the winner of the Lincoln Prize. His book out now is The Presidents Versus the Press, The Endless Battle Between the White House and the Media, From the Founding Fathers to Fake News. Harold, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for inviting me. And this is Speaking of Writers.